I can't help it. I start smiling and grooving along when I hear that. I start chuckling under my breath. It's just, it's a catchy tune, man. Peter Trulin did a great job getting that uh, uh, that track to us. So thank you, Peter, for that. Um, you know, you're in for a treat, folks, when you hear that tune, because it's time for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. This is the forums edition where we talk strategy. Not like that boring old chats edition where we just talk to someone in the world of poker. Puh, enough of that. Let's get our elbows deep into the greatness of poker strategy. We couldn't do it without our amazing sponsors, Mark Brashan at Website Amp and the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. Um, and we couldn't do it without uh, our premium members. Uh, if you don't know what's happening here at Rec Poker, we're a very enthusiastic group of amateur poker fans. Uh, we, we learn together, we coach together, we study together, we celebrate each other's victories, we commiserate each other's losses. Uh, it's just, it's a great community for folks that want to get more involved with the world of poker and sort of advance along their own poker journey. Uh, most of what we do is free. We're a largely volunteer-based organization. You can go to rec.poker and sign up for a free account right now. All it takes is an email address and a smile, but both are mandatory. And uh, it we do depend on our premium members to keep uh, everything going over here. It's $15 a month. Doesn't sound like a lot to you, I hope, but to us, it makes a big difference. Um, and one of the perks of your premium membership, along with access to our training sessions, uh, strategy videos, uh, some of our social events, learning with the pros directly, access to other websites, uh, training materials as well. One of the perks is joining the show here on the forums edition of the podcast. And so I'm uh, very pleased to have Eric Anderson back on the show. Regular listeners will uh, recognize Eric. He's a prolific poster in the forums. He's been on the podcast several times. And I always look forward to cracking that head open and uh, seeing what's going on in that poker brain of his. But the real backbone of what we do here at Rec Poker is the Wrecking Crew. Um, I, my name's Jim Reed. I'm Bluffsterini in the home game and at Rec Poker Jim on Twitter. Uh, but I'm just the guy that they put in front of the mic on Monday nights. It takes a whole crew to make the magic happen here at Rec Poker. And if you want to find out more about me and the rest of the Wrecking Crew, you can just go to rec.poker slash crew. But in the meantime, listen up. You're going to meet a few of the Wrecking Crew members right now. So my name is Ben Enslow. I'm BJMN96 on Twitch. You can find all my socials there. And I'm East Coast Bitter in the uh, Rec Poker home games. I'm Kim Kilroy. I am Fergie 56 in the home game and pet that underscore 33 on Twitter. And I'm Rob Washam and I'm Radman 50 just about everywhere. And if you were listening last week, you know that uh, Ben Enslow is the newest member of the Wrecking Crew. We're really excited to have him on here. Um, ben, I don't think we did a very good job of actually shouting out exactly where folks can find your Twitch handle. So if they go to twitch.tv slash bjammin, uh, is that where all the magic happens? Yep, that's uh, yeah. We play the uh, the home games, so I've been playing the internationals every Saturday. So you can catch me there, 10 a.m. my time, Atlantic Standard is when we start there. Usually we start a little earlier, you know, and that's that's for sure. I'm usually always always in there. So if you want to catch me live, definitely check me out on Saturdays. So there you go, and that's B Jamin B E J A M I N, like Benjamin, but without the N. Without the N, Jamin. Yeah, Maybe and lots, lots of people call me Benjamin, so it's it's. <laughs> but like I say to Jim, I when I hear me when I hear Benjamin, I'm like looking for my mom. <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah, that's right. Shout out to that's my when, mom. <laughs> when I hear James, I always start getting a little worried uh, for the same reason. There, well, well right on, uh, Ben. Welcome back to the show, and I'm excited to see what uh, what the future has in store for you here on the Wrecking Group. So, um, speaking of uh, people joining. Uh, we're going to be looking at a post here uh, by a new member uh, who goes by Butcher, B-U-C-H-R. And this is about being dragged into a bad situation in a nine-person triple-up tourney. So uh, this is Butcher's first post. Uh, and I really like, I can just tell already, uh, they've got a bright future in front of them in the world of poker. Uh, they've got a very humble, learning-based mindset. Uh, they know that they've got some things to learn, but they're thinking about the right things. Um, and I really think that they've once once they uh, spend a little time studying the stuff that we're going to be working on here at Rec Poker, uh, I really think they've got a, a really high ceiling just based on the way that they talk about this post here. So um, first of all, 
like I say, it, 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 you don't have to be a premium member to come post in the forums here. Uh, get a free community account and dive in. Um, be like Butcher and uh, share a spot where you think you made some mistakes and you want to know how to do it better. You want to know how to be thinking about poker better. Um, you have to make yourself vulnerable by sharing your mistakes if you want to learn how to get better. That's the only way to do it. So uh, congratulations, Butcher, on taking uh, the first step in a, in a great poker journey here. So um, Butcher knows to, fl- to uh, flatter us a little, butter us up right off the beginning. Says, been listening to the pod for about three months. Really enjoy the hand analysis. Hearing people discuss hands in such detail is helping be- me be more thoughtful at the table. Um and uh, yeah, exactly. Thank you. And that's that's the, the reason why we're doing it. So this is a interesting format of a tournament that Butcher's playing. This is a nine person triple up tourney. So if folks that have as much gray in their beard as I do will remember the old double up uh, double or nothing tournaments that used to be very popular. And this was just a straight up 10 people entered, five people left, and you left with twice your buy in minus the rake. Um, and that was all there was to it. It didn't matter. It was almost like a satellite tournament to get that fifth spot because the the person with all the chips got the same double up prize as the person who just got uh, the fifth place uh, number of chips. So the number of chips don't matter. It's just getting through to that double up. In this one, it's a nine player triple up tourney. So three players are going to uh, win and they're going to each triple their buy in again, minus the rake. So uh, that's the format. I know they've started doing uh, several years ago in the double or nothing tournaments. They started adjusting the payouts to reflect your stack size at the time of the tournament ending, which had a really interesting effect because that changed it from being a very flat payout structure where one through five get the same prize to making the the if you, the more chips you get, the bigger your prize would be. So it really kind of changes the incentives in the structure. Based on the write-up here, um, this is a triple-up tourney on ignition. And uh, it looks like this is just a straight-up triple-up. There is no graduated prize pool according to how big your stack is. So um, one of the things that we're going to notice in the responses is that that really does change how you should be approaching this tournament because if if the prize for first is the same as the prize for third it's closer to a satellite tournament than you might conventionally think a nine player tournament might be um it's really important that you get into that top three but it's not that important whether you're third second or first and i think we'll see that that changes some of the math um as we as we see uh how the hand unfolds here so it's a quick game, starting with starting stacks of 75 big blinds. And I'm not sure what the time is for the blinds going up, but I believe that it is a quick game. Um, 10 minutes in, I'm dealt, and this is uh, Butcher talking, dealt 7-7 uh, seven, seven on the button with seven players remaining in a stack of 43 big blinds. Everyone is pretty even stacked except for the small blind who's knocked out two players early. So. There's a f- some information already that we can start to work with here. So for one thing, um, Butcher is saying, if I can just hold on till third, I triple up. And that is kind of the approach that you should be taking here. Um, and when the player two to your left is the chip leader and has three times as many chips as a lot of the other players, um, that's also going to incentivize you to tighten up a little bit because they can afford to splash around a bit and you can't. So you should be kind of taking the less volatile um, line with some of those marginal hands that you might consider getting involved with. So we're dealt 7-7. Action folds around to the cutoff, and we're in the button. The cutoff opens to four big blinds. Now, this is the first decision point in the hand, obviously. Um, It's the first time that we're being given the opportunity to act. Uh, Butcher says right off the bat here, I raised to 13 big blinds looking to sweep up the blinds and the four big blind raise initially thinking I will shove against another raise since my pocket sevens is a flip against a lot of hands. So let's just talk about that a little bit here. 
So we've got three options at any time. We can fold, we can call, or we can raise. And if we're going to raise, we can talk about the size that we're going to raise to here. The, we've had one new piece of information, which is that the person that opened opened to four big blinds. I would love to know if that was their typical opening size or if this, I mean, it's only been 10 minutes. I don't know how many chances they've had to, to open yet. But to me, when someone opens to four big blinds in a tournament, that indicates to me that they have a stronger range than than typical. Is that, does the rest of the panel, is that consistent with your thoughts on that? Yeah, for the most part in these sort of lower buy-in tournaments, I think that that's a valid point. But most of the time they got a hand that they, they're trying to get folds or called by, uh, not not a whole bunch of calls. They just want a bigger hand, more value, bigger mm -hmm. base. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, normally when we're 40, 43 big blinds deep, we should yeah. be raising to 2.2 or something like that. Not mm -hmm. to, you know, 2.5 would be the highest you would want to raise to. Um, so when we face a raise of that size, we should have alarm bells going off. And our chips are worth a lot more since two players have already gone out. Yeah. Like we have... We have a lot of value in the chips we have in our stack, so we should be very careful with them. Uh, and to uh, to your point, Jim, is this a typical open, or is this mm. has he been opening to two and a half, and then he's opening to three, and sometimes he opens it to five, and now he's opened it to four? We don't know. So are they limping? <laughs> right? Are they, yeah. Are they normally limping? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Good point. Um, so I think what Kim said is really valid. Um, one of the things we talk about, um, what should we do? Should we call? Should we raise? Should we fold? Um, obviously we're not folding. We got pocket sevens. It's four big blinds. Um, it's a, just about the right odds for set mining because mm -hmm. we're there. It's kind of like the five to 10 rule. Uh, 10 is at the upper upper amount. Now four big blinds is about 10% of his stack. So you can justify a call for set mining purposes. Now, when he raises the 13 big blinds, um, there's something that I'm, I'm going to go back to the game plan where um, Matt Matros would talk about if you're going to bet a third of your stack, mm. you should just go all in. Because you should never raise to that amount of your stack. You just go all in because now you're taking advantage of all your fold equity and everything else. So I think the raise to 13 big blinds was too much. Um, and and we're going to talk. I'm sure Kim's going to bring up what she discovered as far as the ranges. What ranges should we be three betting with to begin with? And sevens probably doesn't fall into that range. Um, there's there, you know, we talked about before we went live here, we talked about what those ranges are. And so maybe Kim could expand on that a little bit because sevens is not the kind of hand that you want to three bet in this spot. And I'll just say that, um, you know, Kim's our solver technician here on the crew and uh, the solver won't know that you're in a nine person triple up tournament. So we should probably be even tighter than the solver would suggest. Uh, but that being said, Kim, you had a chance to look at this in Odin. Is that right? Uh, no, I was looking at it in Floptimal, actually. Floptimal, sorry. Yes, floptimal. We were, this is pretty, this is pre-flop action we're talking about here. Um, but I want to say that the solvers don't use a four big blind opening range. Oh, good point. So the solvers would be using the smaller opening range. So um, our three betting needs to even get tighter. But when we want a three bet and the raise is big, we can three bet smaller. Mm. So we can three bet if we if we had aces here, we can three bet smaller, ace king, like hands that we do want a three bet. Because the pot's already getting bloated by the four big blind opening, we can now make it nine big blinds. Yeah. Or mm. even ten. We don't yeah. have to go, we can just go 
two and a half times they're open. We don't have to go to this over three times they're open, commit virtually committing our stack to this. We can go to nine and now we have the opportunity to fall to a jam. Pre-fall. The sevens say, are not gonna. Yeah. Well, I was just wondering, um, like if we're in the small blind, would we make it bigger then as opposed to if uh, us being on the button, like if we were to three bet? I think probably the range of hands that we'd choose to three bet would would go bigger being out of position. I think mm-hmm. that's a good that's a good general rule. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be a little tighter too um, yeah, than we would yeah, be yeah. from the button. Right. Yeah. So the, the solvers don't want us raising really until we get to tens. Pocket tens. Yeah. Yep. They they don't mind a raise with seven sometimes versus some opponents, like they say twenty percent of the time, but. It's it's gonna be versus a two or two point two big blind right. open against a four big blind open. So I think I think probably in Solverland this is always a call. And I actually don't mind a fold here to a four mm. big blind open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean we do have the button. I would definitely be more inclined to fold this in the small blind. Yeah. I would definitely call it in the big blind because it's costing me less. Yeah. But um, I don't mind a fold here because of the four big blind open and the fact that our chips have so much value right now because of the two players already knocked out. Yes, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and because, you know, as we talk about it more, you know, because it's closer to a satellite structure, you can you can turn down some of those some of those hands uh, and just play it tighter and uh, let other players, especially and this is a three dollar uh, tournament. So there's going to be players here that are prone to make errors, ICM errors, because uh, it's a hard thing to study. And I think um, I mean, I think this is actually an example of one of those errors, to be honest with you, taking a hand that we might choose to three bet under other circumstances. And in this dynamic, in this tournament structure with the big blood with the big stack player to our left, um, all that kind of tells me that this should be a, a, a call instead. And I, I, I don't, uh, I don't disagree with you, Kim, about um, having a, a fold in here at some frequency. But when I'm holding a pocket pair, I actually don't mind if the opponent has a very strong range because I'm basically set mining. So nothing would make me happier than for them to end up with one very strong pair, um, and then and then lose to my to my set. I don't mind that as much. Then if I was right. holding like seven eight or something like that, then I might be more. Yeah, but to but to Rob's point, we're barely getting the odds to set. Mine. Yes, that's true. And maybe not even getting them to set. Mine. Yes, <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> I don't mind a raise here if this person always opens four big blinds and has been opening a lot. Yeah, and that they open and they've been open and folding to three bets mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Because now, if we three bet to a smaller size like nine, or or even ten, we can't. And they shove or they re-raise us. We can still get away from the hand because we haven't committed our stack now. Yep. So yeah, uh, that's kind of what I was going to get at too. I was like, I was kind of wondering, like, it almost reminds me of somebody like limping. Like, if they like, if they were limping all the time, and then all of a sudden, you know, they raised the four big blinds, and they have a you know a wide range between their V pip and their their raising. Like, if they're forty and twenty, even then, it's like you know, even over a short sample size, if they're just constantly limping, and then all of a sudden, four big blinds. I'm definitely just folding sevens on, yep. on the button. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I'd like uh, to mention what, about uh, in, yeah. on the pre-flop, he mentions uh, he he three bets and plans on five betting all in if because he's yeah he's yeah. So, uh, it's kind of I, I want to. It's kind of gambling, yeah. and and he says he thinks he's flipping. Well, he is flipping with ace king, ace queen, and that. Um, but you got to think about what they're three betting with, and if they're three betting with pairs which are probably bigger pairs than yours you're only got 19 percent. you only win yeah. one out of five times yeah um, so you're not I really think that's, yeah I think yeah that's right. i think that's a that's a trap that a lot of new players and even some of us more seasoned players fall into and that's putting our opponents on a hand we want them to have mm. 
Well, they always have yeah. Ace King, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We always have Jacks. <laughs> I know my my biggest yeah, we always make her putting them on the hand I would play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Projecting. Yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah. It's like making like he's saying he thinks they're gonna have this hand more often. It's because he wants them to have that hand and wants to be flipping. But yeah, I, and I think it's, it's a trap that a lot of us fall into, and we've got to be very careful about that. And it's also true that you know, our opponents. They're starting hands. They're going to have a lot more combos of unpaired hands than paired hands. There's there's just a lot more combos of unpaired hands out there. But the hands that take the line of four bet cold or open and then four bet, you know, that's a that's a pretty tight range. That range it has some unpaired hands in it, like ace king and ace queen. But if it if it really only has you know nines plus or something, and the really best aces, then as Rob puts it, you know, you're actually, you're not flipping against that range. You're flipping against half the range and the other half has you completely dominated. Um, so it's actually, it's a much, you don't have as much equity as you think. You're definitely not, not flipping um, against the range. Although it's true what Butcher says here, you're flipping against a lot of hands. It's just those hands don't make up the majority of the player's range at this point. Um, so they do get Let's a good... Mind- Let's yeah, also please. keep in mind what what Kim mentioned earlier that your chips are worth more now mm-hmm. than a, to, a a normal chip EV situation because two players have already been eliminated so now your stack is worth more than a, just a straight chip to chip um value. So a lot of the odds and equities that you need are now going up. You need more equity than you needed before. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple, uh, I mean, and I love just the way that Butcher's written this handout because you can tell what they're struggling with, um, and, and why they're sharing this with the rest of us. So they're saying originally they raised to 13 thinking that they'll shove a re-raise since my seven sevens a flip against a lot of hands. And then, um, the next line is how it folds back around after that to the cutoff. They do re-raise and Butcher says, I realize I hate this spot. <laughs> and this is the spot that you had mentioned earlier that you were going to re-raise into um, because you're flipping against a lot of their hands. And I think now that you're in the spot, Butcher, you kind of see, oh, wait, actually, <laughs> this isn't, I don't really like this spot as much as I thought I did. Um, and uh, so it just goes to show sort of like the importance of really visualizing the different outcomes that could take place and kind of trying to just put yourself in your shoes 15 seconds from now. And like before you, I used to, honestly, I had to take my hand off the mouse before I would tell myself like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to raise. And then this is what I'm going to do when they raise me back, or this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to check, but this is what I'm going to do if they make a bet. Like I wouldn't allow myself to just click anything until I thought about what the next action was going to be. Because you're you you get into the spot where you're like, oh, I've got pocket sevens. I'm you know racing against all their unpaired hands. Let's go raise, and then they do raise, and you're like, oh, <laughs> wait. And, and poker's a lot like chess in that way. You always want to you always want to think at least two moves ahead, right? And yes, and I I have made it a habit that I I'm never calling or I'm never checking. I'm check calling. I'm check folding or I'm check I raising. Love that. I love and that. I'm also putting a number on it. I'm check calling. A third pot. I'm check calling a half pot. Yep. Yeah. Before I before I check, I know what I'm doing on the next. And that's uh, a hopefully, great. Hopefully, I've predicted what one of those decisions are. They usually plot it, and then I don't know what to do. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it's not like you have to have the whole hand figured out, but just if you can take some of the more common actions into account and just say, you know, what am I going to do if I get raised? That's a pretty good thing to be asking every time you consider betting. It's just like, what what am I going to do if I if I get raised? Um, and if and you're may- going to call that raise, how big of a raise? Are you going to yes, call it all exactly. in or are you going to call it just a little bit? Yep. Yeah. So that's just something to be thinking about in advance. And that just takes practice, butcher and playing more and getting yourself into those positions. So um, their first question is, am I right that the raise to 13 was premature and too big with three opponents still in the hand? Um, I think we all agree that it was 
overplaying your hand a little bit. I think it's overplaying the strength of your hand to treat it like a value raise here in this dynamic and that maybe you could size down a little bit. Um, they say, my thinking at the time was a pair of sevens are too weak to go multi-way, so I want to isolate the cutoff. That's a good thing to be thinking about in poker generally, but um, pocket sevens are not, like they're only too weak to go multi-way if you if it's really important to you that you win the pot. If what you're trying to do is just make a profitable set mining opportunity, then they're actually the perfect kind of hand to take multi-way. Um, nothing would make you happier than to get a few other people also chipping four big blinds in there, making your pot odds even better and your implied odds of getting paid when you make a set all the better. The difference is when you don't make a set, you're likely just not going to win the hand. So that's okay. Poker isn't about winning the most hands. It's about winning the most chips. And you don't need to win all the hands to do that. Sometimes the art of poker is actually... Uh, losing some <laughs> losing the right hands and uh and not kind of putting yourself in a position to lose a lot more chips in those hands now let's talk about the type of hands you want to isolate with oh great the types yeah. of hands you want to isolate with are probably your big ace king ace queen type hands yeah. hands that you can actually go to the flop and actually go to get to showdown and still be ahead of a lot of the hands that somebody would have just called your three bet with mm -hmm. so um, but whereas sevens, any, any time an eight, nine, 10, Jack, queen, king, ace flops, are you feeling pretty good about it? No, <laughs> not at all. Yeah. So, so that's not really an isolation hand. To your point, it's a great hand to go multi-way because if you do hit your set, because all you're doing is set mining at that point. So yep. if you do hit your set, you could intentionally get the implied odds that you need to actually go after that set. Yep. And if you're. If you're even deeper, I still just like it as a call. I don't think there's any reason to get fancy three betting with it. If you start to get shallower, there's a period where I probably, I like Kim's fold here. If you don't have enough big, if you don't have a deep enough stack to make a profitable set mining opportunity here, um, but you also have too many chips to just shove and pray, then I think this is probably a fold at like, I don't know what you guys think, like 30 big blinds or something like that. Um Something like that. I don't know. There's it, it, we, well, we you, can argue you might be time, but... you might be getting closer to a jam then. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You get short enough, and then you're shoving. There's a I think, basically there's a there's this weird there's a valley. Sweet, yeah, there's yeah. a sweet spot there where it becomes a jam. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's true. Okay, um, so that's all. I mean, so you know, butcher, you're, you're you're talking about the right things here. You're thinking about the right factors. I think um, one of the things that we got to work on is just knowing which factors are more important given the the moment in time that you're in isolating the cutoff is a great idea um flipping against a lot of hands is a great idea um you know uh sweeping up the blinds and the four big blinds in there like those are all good thoughts to have it's just a question of is this the right time to be weighing those over your tournament life the big stack to your left um the structure of this tournament um and that's 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 kind of that's that's the tension that we're talking about here. It all kind of boils back to that four big blind open. Like if mm. this, if your opponent doesn't open the four big blinds, like if they open to like a like Kim said, like a normal like two point two, two point three, or a min raise, you know, then then we can talk about okay, well maybe we can sneak a three bet in here. But a, yep. you know, I like a small three bet in that case, right? If it's a yep. min raise, you know, okay, well, we don't want to take a flop and just you know we do we can we're on the button we're gonna have position. But we could also win the pot right now, you know, small raise. And then even if we do get called, then we still have that back door of, okay, we're in position. We get to see what they do first kind of thing. And and, and again, like I say, it all comes back to them opening four big blinds. And now we're just like, oh, we have sevens on the button. What do we do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got I got one more thought that, that I think we, we didn't talk about, but it's a $3.30 ignition triple up tournament. So now let's talk about the caliber of player that we're playing against. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How many of them are sophisticated enough to to four bet us with a hand that sevens is flipping with? Right. Good point. There's only so one saying... hand that possibly could be, and that's ace-king. The rest of that range is aces, kings, and queens. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, that, I think I mean, you're right. Let's face it. At that level, there's yeah. not too many people that are going to be four betting with anything less than queens there. Yeah, not like this. They're not doing it with ace queen or ace jack or no. ace ten nope. or nope. ace nine. Nope. Or they might call with those hands. sixes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the yeah. Thing. They like, might they call might... with those hands. Yeah. Or they might be the kind of player that just blasts off with all sorts of ridiculous garbage because they don't understand. Like, they could be an even worse player getting it in here with, like, 7-6 suited or, you know, ace-5 offsuit or something like that. Like, we don't know. But we can't expect that without without knowing something. You know, for me, that means they get the purple tag uh, in Poker Tracker 4. I'm always, always looking for that purple tag. <laughs> I want to sit next to anyone that's got that purple tag uh, over over in my games. But, uh, that's, no, that's, that's a really good point. Yeah. The, the other thing too is when they just raise us here, four bet us, and they don't go all in. To me, that's kind of a trap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like they're just trying to milk our money, milk our chips out of us. Yes, and it feels like they're just clicking buttons too. Like they just like click to the. I don't it's know a if that's small a, four bet. It's a, yeah, like a it's really like small. Like they're just like back. like they just yeah. click it back. Like it's just yeah. I agree with Kim on that. Yeah, that's a good point. This is they they've chosen not to add fold equity to this. And I always, you know, I love adding fold equity to things. And like the only time I don't do it is when I've got like a, essentially a nutted hand where I don't need the fold equity in order to to feel good about going going forward with the hand. So, um that's that's a good point. If if a player has an opportunity to make a shove and they don't, you know, what does that tell you about their hand a little small click back like this especially out of position they're going to be playing out of position they're like four bit four bet clicking back uh that's that is probably a pretty strong range and as rob says um the players in this player pool are likely to be weighted towards really big pairs and those are not the kind of hands that you want to see when you've got a medium pair so uh, as played we make the raise to 13 we get re-raised to 23 uh the next question from Butcher to wrap things up here. I've got what what do we do now? I've got 30 big blinds remaining. I think there's still a chance the shove gets the cutoff off of Ace X hands and some other premium non-pocket hands, so I shove. And this is interesting. No like, way. No. <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the crew, the crew yeah, does not no. agree. But the other thing, and, and I, I feel this tension a lot in these in these forums posts sometimes because what what we're doing here is what you're saying is that you're eliminating all the hands in his range that you were flipping with. They're going to fold all those hands. So they're only going to continue with the pairs that are better than yours. So you're you're kind of creating a situation where they're only continuing with really strong hands, um, the kind of hands that have you crushed. Sometimes you have to do that in poker, and you can do that with other hands that maybe have a blocker here that make it less likely that they're holding a very strong hand. Um, or a hand with like less equity, like an ace five suited hand or something where you, you are behind some of those ace jack, ace 10, king jack hands that they're, that they're going to fold here to your pocket sevens. Or but, if you have less chips, I think, I mean, we still yeah. have 40 big blinds. Like that's yeah. a lot yeah. of chips, a lot of yeah, chips, even true. in the hyper. Like, I mean, if, even if the blinds go up, you're still going to have, you know, 30, 25, 30. Yep. No, I think that's a good point. I so, think, yeah, please. No, I was going to say, I think that sometimes if people have studied ranges at all or watch sort of higher level poker, like if these had been sort of more normal raise sizes, there's there's going to be some four bet bluffs in a good player's range to offset those really big hands. Yep. But in this level, there is not going to be any four bet bluffs. So we're never going to get a fall. From oh, a shove. when we five bet shove, yeah. they're yeah. not yep. bluffing with any of right. their range of four bets, so there's nothing to fold. That's a good point. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. Generally, when we want to get when we want to add fold equity to our shoves, we have to attack ranges that have hands that will fold in that range. Um, so you 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 don't want to be bluff shoving into ranges that don't have any folding hands in them. That's that's a really good point. Right, and uh, I like yeah, well, your I... point too, where you said that we're folding out. I mean, in a normal scenario, when these numbers were different, and we do this, our thinking is wrong when we're folding out the hands that we're beating. Right, <laughs> getting called by the hands. So I like that, but also in this particular scenario with these particular numbers, 
this is never, never, they're never folding here. Yeah, because they're never bluffing. Yeah, that's true. I want to, I want to raise of hands that everybody that has never projected the hand that you want your opponent to have. <laughs> who's never, who's never yeah. done that? Yeah, right. no one's, oh, no God. one's raising their hand on that because <laughs> no. we've all done it. We've all been there. You, yes. you get to that spot and you go, well. I'm just sure he's got ace king here. I'm going to jam because I'm going to. It's going to be a flip. Yeah, and and you just project it, and because you want it to be, and that's I, that's the the dangerous way to think. And we've all done it many, 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 many times. Then you just maybe advance. except for Kim. <laughs> you advance. Yeah. Well, I've done it. I've done it where lots of money's been on the line. So yeah, and more on the call off side too. When you look at all those masses of chips in the pot. And you're looking at calling off with some crappy hand because they could have this one bluffy hand. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they never do. <laughs> they never do. <laughs> what were you well, gonna say, Ben? Well, yeah, I was gonna go say ahead. I just like uh usually you advance to the point where you're like, Well, I hope I'm flipping here, and you flip in a chip and you call, and then you realize, oh god, I'm no good. <laughs> that that <Yep>. was terrible. <laughs> yeah. You and go also, from, you know, you know I, I hope they have Ace King to just like, oh, well, hopefully we're flipping, and you go, oh, no, we're not. <laughs> yeah. And also, yeah. you know, think like we we did touch on this earlier in the show, but you know, when there's lots of times in poker where you can get your chips in and think to yourself, I'm definitely ahead here a lot, and sometimes I'm behind, and sometimes I'm flipping. This isn't one of those times. Like this is a time where you're saying, I'm never ahead. Uh, like I'm never really ahead. Maybe I'm flipping against some and I'm dominated the rest of the time. So flipping is well and good when it's like the bad spectrum, the bad part of the spectrum of the outcome available to you. Um, but when flipping is like the good part <laughs> of what you're, what's ahead of you, if you're like, hey, maybe luck will go my way and I'll be flipping. <laughs> then, you know, that's not that's not as good for you. Uh, like that's just your you're not doing as well versus that range of flipping is a good outcome because um, you can find other spots to invest your chips where you're actually going to be ahead a lot. And flipping is like the bad outcome. Um, it's on the bad side of the spectrum there. So uh, I think, you know, we talk about like contorting ranges. You, the action here that you're taking, the sizing that you're using, you're kind of contorting your opponent's range to only contain very strong hands that have you beat uh, at this point. And, you know, some that you're flipping against, uh, but it just—it doesn't seem like the panel feels like it's just—it's a—it's a worthwhile investment here. In the same, why way. don't we tell the listeners what happens in this hand? Helen? Yeah, I think I think <laughs> we're there. Good point, Kim. So, um, uh, so Butcher says I still think there's a chance to get uh, a shove gets the cutoff off of Asex hands and some other premium non-pocket hands. So I shove. Uh, they unfortunately turn over pocket queens, and the queens hold up. And uh, that, and we lose the tournament. Uh, it's not clear to me if we lost on that hand or if that just really knocked us down and we we lost on a, another hand soon. But um, I think that that is how it's going to go sometimes for sure. And I think they kind of telegraphed the strength of their hand a little bit to us on this one, both by the large open preflop and then the simple presence of a four bet, as Kim says at this stake. Um, between those two factors, you can kind of narrow their range down to some some very premium hands, and uh, and then yeah, I think I think the panel here agrees that generally this plays better as just a call in the first place. Um, don't worry too much about playing heads up and isolating. Uh, I'd rather be three betting with a hand like Ace Queen offsuit here and calling with with a hand like Pocket Sevens. Um, doesn't make it wrong you know kim even said there's a frequency at which you should do it every once in a while but in the games that we're playing in a three dollar triple up uh with the incentives that are present i think uh i would just i would just take take the passive line here and try and try and make a hand yeah Talked one thing about, to think about you're talking about the pocket sevens and the ace queen suited um your pocket sevens are more than likely dominated and you're, you have two outs yes your ace, ace queen suited you're still flipping against the pairs but you have six outs and yep. and against the four bet, you're kind of just drawn to the ace with the three outs. But even, even drawing to three outs, like let's say you've got ace queen and they've got ace king. There's three queens that can help you. There's only two sevens that can help you. Um, yeah. So you, you've actually added 50% of your outs 
um, when you're when you're doing this with uh, ace queen versus pocket sevens when you're behind. Obviously, pocket sevens is ahead of pocket kings uh, or uh, of ace king. But um, uh, when you're when you're behind, you only have two outs with a pocket pair, and you've got either three or six outs with uh, an unpaired Broadway hand like that, um, which is a lot better, a lot better. Needless to say, and if they've got pocket jacks and you've got ace queen, I mean. That now you're really now you're cooking with uh what is it cooking with gas down there, Rob? And um with gas, cooking with gas. <laughs> <laughs> so um Butcher just asked lastly, uh, any opinions on nine person triple up tournaments with a 75 big blind starting stack would be appreciated. A lot of my online discussion is about cash games. A lot of the online discussion is about cash games or MTTs. I don't know what my approach should be and how it should change from early to late game. I play tight until mid game, <laughs> contrary to the above, is what he says. Um, <laughs> uh, I look for spots mid game to keep my stack alive, then wait for premium hands to shove late game and hope to double up once or twice to build enough of a stack to ride out till third has been my strategy so far. Um, I would just add to that uh, ICM is the weapon that you're going to use here against these other players in this $3 triple up tournament. There's probably a few people in this player pool that really know what they're doing and they know how to use their stack and they know to get to the top three and that's all that matters. But I think a lot of these players are going to be less experienced than that. They're going to make calling errors and uh, raising errors that you can learn how to avoid yourself with some study of ICM. And I really like the point that Rob made about sort of the downward drift. Um, If you can think about that, even that is going to set you ahead of a lot of the other people that are playing in these tournaments. Um, But mostly tight is right. Tight is right. Um, Let them make bigger mistakes than you. Uh, Have the hand range, have the the card strength advantage. And then I'm not even sure it's that important to only play premiums later so much as to recognize when you can apply ICM pressure. When the players to your left have fewer chips than you, I think you can open right up uh, with certain hands that have good blockers and uh, steal blinds with less than premium hands, uh, three bet shove with less than premium hands in the right spots against the right opponents. And that's going to be, that's going to unlock a lot of uh, 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 positive ROI for you. I think in this format, studying ICM and stack sizes is probably the most important thing for you when it comes to this. Yeah, this is basically a sit and go. So you can treat it like a sit and go. Um, I think he's he's right. Play tight at the beginning and then loosen it up a little bit and try to get those premiums and try to get uh, put pressure on the other stacks. I think that's the general um, sit and go strategy. And then add a little satellite in there because there's not a one, two, three. And yeah. then, uh, and like you say, using that ICM pressure to... Uh, use a big chip. If you get that big chip stack, put a lot of pressure on on your opponents to continue to build that. And I, I love the way that uh, Butcher signs off here. It says, this is the first time I've written out a hand before or interacted with the poker community online. Thanks to the vibe of the podcast and the posts I've been reading today, you inspired me to get involved. So thanks. And I just want to say thank you, Butcher. Um, we've all posted, you know, I, Everyone here has posted their first forum post at one point. You know, that's how we got here. Uh, it's by sharing the stuff that we're not sure about, you know, asking questions that that we can feel embarrassed about sometimes. Yeah, Rob? So when was the first time you ever put a post in a forum? <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be honest with you guys. I was such a lurker learning poker <laughs> myself. I listened to podcasts. I watched like free videos on YouTube. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really participate in a lot of poker learning until I joined Rec Poker. Uh, Rec Poker was the first time that I got involved with other poker people uh, that weren't just myself and my notebooks. God, I just wish. I, used... I wish I'd done it earlier, man. I spent so many years <laughs> like being a serious poker student on my own and like winning money and like be, you know being a pretty good poker player. But I just could have been so far ahead. I could have been so much further ahead if I had just started talking to other people about poker. I wish I'd posted my first forum post like 10 years earlier because uh, you just get so much out of it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it. it's just so much better than trying to do it on your own. 
You say that, Rob. My my first place that I posted was on Rec Poker, and it's just you know this gives me like throwback to me like you know three years ago, right? So I just big shout out to Butcher for getting out there and you know putting it out there. You know, I know that takes a lot of courage to you know. Okay, I mess this up. You know, what do you guys think? So, and I've been mm-hmm. there many a time. Probably be there again. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about we'll you, here, Rob? Be here I, to talk about it. Uh, probably about two thousand four. Um, two plus two forums. Two back plus two. They got really bad. Yeah. They they when they first first came out, they were pretty good. Everybody was pretty friendly. Everybody was exchanging ideas, and then they got really hostile, hostile environment. So I quit quit going there, but. Yeah. yeah, probably 2004, 2005, something like that is when I posted my first stupid hand history where I didn't know <laughs> anything. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Eric, Kim, do you remember? Or uh... I remember. I posted my first one on, on uh, Tournament Poker Edge forum. Oh, yeah. It was very first started. Uh, mm. And then Brokus answered my Amazing. post. Yeah, to say how badly I played King. <laughs> 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 and my my first one was here and uh i was i was kind of like kim i was really surprised that somebody that actually was on the podcast actually answered my question and i was like holy cow they're real <laughs> yeah <laughs> there you go um but i do have All some right. advice he asked about the the uh the format on the um yes um you you kind of want to it's it's easy with this nine person because you'll have it figured out. Um, what with a satellite, you kind of want to figure out how many chips you need to go out. Oh, good good uh, point. With this, you're at thirty percent of all the chips in play. So once you hit, I usually do about eighty percent of thirty percent. Um, once you get to about somewhere in there. Um, that's when you don't want to go crazy anymore. You don't want to be trying to chip up. I mean, you can apply ICM pressure to people, um, but do it with good hands. You don't want to be getting below that 30%. If you're above it already and you're already in the money, because if you're above 30%, there's no way you don't have a ticket. You've already won. So don't don't go below there. Don't. That's a great advice. And just to, to reinforce that, um, so what Eric's saying there is that if you've got 30% of the chips in play at any time, then then you can pretty much just coast to that bubble bursting. So you you kind of don't have to keep playing actively. You've kind of already uh, done most of the work into getting that ticket. So um, I see players that don't really understand the ICM pitfalls that that end up with a huge stack. And then they they keep playing as though the point is to win all the chips. And the yeah, point you- is not to win all the chips. Do just not you're risk. Chip lead doesn't mean you can bully everybody. It no, exactly. Just relax. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They can wake up with aces too, you know. So, like the the uh, what do they call it on the um, on the breakdown, Ben? It's a uh, ICM suicide or ICM is it a, suicide. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a catastrophe. Yeah. Um, it happens. So that's the kind of mistake you want the other people at the table to be making. That's that's a really good point, Eric. Yeah, and if you um, get forty percent of the chips, just Hit the set out button and go play another game. Yeah, I've done it. I've done it. I've just sat out. I don't even want to get tempted to see aces or kings and make some stupid decision. They hit a two outer, and now I have to win again, where I yeah. had it all locked up. <laughs> so, uh, I'll just briefly just run through a few of the other comments in the post. Um, Chris Jones uh, talks about the hand starting with a very big open, like the rest of us talked about, and sort of what might that mean. Uh, talks about it being a satellite situation where tightening up is uh is is more important um he goes to a, he, he adds a couple ranges here and talks about what kind of equity players would need to continue um and comes up with some ranges that you might uh, they're tighter than the ones we were talking about here <laughs> excuse me we got a great response here from seven high 11 john crowell uh, who's another fantastic, uh, prolific poster in the forums. And he's been here on the forums edition of the podcast a few times as well. Um, welcoming Butcher to the forums. And uh, he says, it's great to see new members get involved. Uh, he has played a bunch of these triple ups. And uh, <clears throat> he recommends a couple of Darrow Carney books, which I think would are always a good, uh, always a good investment. 
Um, and then uh, John talks about a few other spots here, again, dealing with different equities, different hand kinds, uh, different hand types. And um, says, you know, queens over sevens is just the way poker is sometimes. And, and that's absolutely true as well. Uh, you can't be results oriented, but I think, um, and then what what Chris gets into here as well, uh, Chris comes back into the conversation and just does reinforce just how uh, tight we have to be here. Um, and I'll just illustrate one point here. Chris says, if we really widen villains range, any pair, any A's, all Broadways, a lot of suited cards, and give them a 37% opening range, as crazy as it may seem, according to the dynamic of play that we're talking about here, we still fold pocket sevens. Um, we're just not as incentivized to take flips in these spots, especially with that opening range. And we so rarely dominate with seven, seven that we just fold it, which is one of the issues that we were talking about here before. You're just never dominating with a hand like that. Um, so the flips are, are not as, uh, the, the flips are the good, <laughs> the good outcome. Um, and then Elvita, uh, Joe Coolis makes another really good, uh, comment here, um, the one that I keep coming back to here, which is that one of your goals is to let other players make mistakes. Um, and, 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 and this is one of those mistakes. You know, this is just a spot where you could have just passed on putting a lot of chips in here, um, but you chose to push a thin edge. And in this dynamic, that's just not as profitable a decision as when it is uh, in a, in a, in a more typical tournament structure. So um let, let the other players make those mistakes. And uh, he says, satellite play is a different animal from MTT with its own strategy. And recognizing just that fact will get you an edge on the table. So any parting thoughts for uh, Butcher, our new rec poker community member who has a bright future in the world of poker, I think, based on what I've read today? I don't see any. So I just really want to thank our correspondent here, Butcher, for writing in. And uh, for giving some of us a little nostalgia for our first forum post, that brought a smile <laughs> to my face. Um, and of course, I need to thank uh, Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino and Mark Brujan and from Website Amp for their response and their support. Um, to Kim and Eric and uh, Ben and Rob uh, for chipping in their brains on this episode. And to you, the listeners, we couldn't do it without you. So thank you so much for your support. I like kids. I like this one. <laughs>